I think the, the biggest challenge is really finding time to manage all of those different avenues. I'm, I'm always trying to be on the go. And a lot of teachers are. And then we forget about what our bodies need sometimes. If you're on this machine-like attitude when you're, you're, you're teaching and you don't really take the time to realize like, oh, I didn't eat my lunch because I was doing 101 things. Time is really just the biggest thing that, that is a challenge for us as teachers and definitely for myself. Welcome to Working Well, a podcast series with a diverse group of educators from across the country discussing how to improve the well-being of the workforce. I'm Mindy Wiseman with the National Center on Safe Supportive Learning Environments, or Nestle. In this episode, Nestle Training Specialist Melanie Goodman speaks with Jamar Roundtree, a health and physical education teacher and the 2023 Washington, D.C. Teacher of the Year. They discuss the importance of understanding students' learning needs, pandemic challenges and lessons learned, and the critical necessity of social-emotional learning. But they begin their conversation talking about the importance of finding time to take care of yourself. I think one of the the biggest challenges is, is really finding time. Time is always of the essence in figuring out how we can both do our job well but also take care of ourselves well. During the pandemic was an eye-opening case around how much time we needed for ourselves and how much time we needed to take to like really think about what are our needs versus our kids' needs versus what the parents' need versus if you have a child or someone that you're taking care of at, at your, your own house, what their needs are and kind of putting those into priority. I think the, the biggest challenge is really finding time to manage all of those different avenues. I'm, I'm always trying to be on the go. And a lot of teachers are. And then we forget about what our bodies need sometimes. If you're on this machine-like attitude when you're, you're, you're teaching and you don't really take the time to realize like, oh, I didn't eat my lunch because I was doing 101 things. Time is really just the biggest thing that, that is a challenge for us as teachers and definitely for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you must urge your colleagues to do the same, especially, you know, given your background and what your focus is in terms of overall health. Yeah. And one of the things that I've started to do is take things slow. During the pandemic, we realized that all the things that we do, we might have to just kind of take a step back and really just deliver things in a smaller sense. So bite sizes for our kids, bite sizes for us, and that's going to be okay. And I think mm-hmm. being okay with that is the hard part for teachers right? Because like we want our kids to have all the information right now. Um, and then we're hoping that we can assess them on all the information that they're learning right now. Um, and so one of the things that I've learned after the pandemic is that I need to take a step back and really give deliverable lessons that students can understand and give them time to like have questions and ask questions. And that was really helpful. And so I use that same kind of attitude when I talk to my colleagues, like just give yourself time and everything that has to be done right now. And that's a hard kind of concept because there's deadlines that we have to meet, testing mm. cycles, there's all these other pieces, but what does it benefit if you are burnt out? If you can't deliver a tangible lessons that it makes it sticky for our students, how is that helping our students? I start to chunk my lessons so that my students understand me a little bit better, but then I could also find more pieces that make sense for our students. I can bring in partnerships. I can bring in other uh, more engagers for my students to understand. So being able to bite-size my lessons gave me more time to be able to influence and make my lessons more important for our students. Are you also saying, Jamar, that the pandemic really brought that into focus? 
for you. Like it forced you to kind of, okay, got to do things differently. We're in a new time now. I, I've heard that from others as well, but is, has that is the case for you? Or were you kind of moving in this direction anyway to kind of recalibrate? I think I was moving in this direction. I think the pandemic really brought it to light. And after we got out of the pandemic, kids were so traumatized. For a second, we were like, oh, we can go back to normal. As teachers, we were like, you know, we can teach the way that we were normally teaching. Kids will get it. And then what we found is like students were not picking it up. Students were not getting it. They had taken those steps backwards. And we as teachers were like, whoa, wait a minute. Our students are not there, but we were trying to get them there faster. And wow. we couldn't do that. So that. that was really like a surprise. You're saying that students were in the state that they were in when they came back. The expectation was maybe or wishful thinking. I'm not sure <laughs> that things would just kind of go back to the way they were before. I think that was the expectation. And we knew that students had lost some of that ability, but we didn't know how much. Oh, okay. And especially around our social emotional learning. We didn't know how far students had taken steps back and how much we would need to reteach as we got them back in the school. We had to think if you're locked away in your house for a year, a year and a half, two years, you have no sharing or is caring kind of mentality, right? Because everything is yours in your own house. And then you get around 20 something kids. We forgot that we need to go back to the basics and say sharing is caring, but how do we teach that, right? How do we go back and teach that to students? But the same thing happened for adults, right? Because adults were also in their houses with their own families, doing their own things. Our mentality shifted a little bit and we had to remember all those things that we were taught. Right, just how to be in community. So what would you say then that were some of the challenges at the kind of the systems level in your experience at your own school and, and at others that you're kind of aware of? What, what was like priority for them or what came to light for them, do you think? One of the challenges is trying to think through everything. Having a six foot distance and thinking about what that looks like for kids when they're trying to have conversations, when we're trying to communicate with each other, when we're um, trying to interact with each other. I think the challenge is like figuring out how do we still make it a school yeah. while still being a park? And how do you do that in a successful situation of a school setting, right? Kids want to hug, kids want to high five, they want that attention, they want that piece of community. How do you provide that? So that the big challenge was like, how do we still feel like a community while we're spread apart? When all of that changed, how do you bring all of that back into the fold after you've taken it away for so long? So how did you do it? <laughs> or what, me, were, what were some examples? For me, I think one of the things were, were to have conversations with students. Um, I was really honest with my students around how I was feeling, and I gave them the opportunity to tell me how they would feel. That opened the door for us to have a trusting community. And I think we built a lot of trust because there's a lot that kids can read now. Um, there's a lot that they can do online. When they have questions, I don't want to knock their questions down. I want I want them to ask questions. I want them to be learners who are always asking questions, critical thinkers. And so we created a, an atmosphere where the students can ask questions. They they can talk to each other. And I was really big on making that intentional in my lessons. And as, as soon as they came through the doors, I set up like a, a clothespin emotional activity every time our students came in. So they would grab a, a clothespin that was tailored to their emotion. You know, green would mean I'm happy, yellow would mean I'm, I'm so, so, red would mean I'm angry. And so students had an opportunity to address their emotions as soon as they came to the door. That helped our atmosphere be more engaging. And so that students could see, oh, I see that you're, you're happy today. I'm happy too. Or I see that you're a little sad. Can you tell me why you're sad? So opening the door to have those conversations and make the environment. 
feel more safe. So using just that one example, they'd come in, they would identify, you know, where they were at, it'd be made visible to everybody. And then what would you do, Jamar, would you like facilitate a conversation saying, oh, it looks like we got a lot of kind of really angry people here today, you know, let's talk about what they're, everybody seems pretty happy. I mean, would you work it, you know, as a group or was it more just, let's all be aware, we're all in a different place. It started off as me starting and leading the conversation, right? And you're talking about the different challenges. That was one of the ways that I was getting over the challenge hump where my kids were coming to school with a lot of trauma. Um, they were coming to school feeling a certain type of way, especially when like things rapidly changed where they were like in masks, they were out of masks, and it was like okay. they were socially distant and then they could actually like be around other, their other friends. So in my classroom, I would facilitate the conversations around their emotions at first. And then as we built that trusting atmosphere, students started to have those conversations for themselves. But I would leave the time for them to do that. Oh, so nice. they would come in, they would grab their clothespin, I give them two to three minutes to like interact with each other. And we do some sort of moving. So it'd either be a locomotor movement or it'd be like a moving activity that I would put together. So the kids are moving and they're talking and conversating and having this, you know, and kids that didn't want to do that, I gave them the option of, you know, putting their clothespin in their pocket. And when they were ready to have the conversation, they could, right. okay. you know, I wanted to give everybody an opportunity to have a voice. And that was my small way of making sure that happened. Everyone could participate without it being so big where every kid feels like they have to say something or every kid uh, feels no like they pressure. might be left out. No pressure. Exactly. Yeah. So did you bring the clothespins into the teacher's lounge? <laughs> I didn't. You know, I, this is the second time I've been asked that. It might be something that I do this year. We as teachers don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable with our kids. That is another piece that made my classroom, for me and my students, so much more fun. I was able to be vulnerable with my kids. Yeah, be who and you I think are. That's, and that's important. And our yeah. kids need that more than ever. Others have said that, um, have commented in my conversations about how students see what teachers are going through. They're very insightful, you know, and know when teachers are struggling. And Absolutely. And for the most part, kids tell yeah. the truth. And, yeah. I, and I deal with, you know, three, four or five-year-olds. They have nothing else but the truth. They say what they feel. They, they say how they see things. They're like, oh, you, you're not wearing a hat today. Is your is your head broken? Did you have a head, bad hair day? You know, so they're they're very honest with you. And that's what I love. But I think we as adults have forgotten that, how important that is for our kids, especially because I, I deal with preschool all the way to eighth grade. And our sixth, seventh, eighth graders are seeing more and more how they can recognize emotions. They have more and more resources to be able to recognize how teachers are feeling. So the school is supportive of what you're doing, like supportive of, of, of your problem solving and trying things in, in the classroom. And you found, generally speaking, that the administration or whatever is really encouraging of that for you and other teachers in the school, because that also got talked about a lot where things broke, right, during the pandemic, like things just broke. And <laughs> so for a while, and I don't know that this is still the case, it's probably not, that there was an attitude of just try anything, you know, make it work. That was kind of a little bit of the silver lining and whether we can sustain that creativity and that attitude going forward, I don't know, in a system like the education system, that's tough. But I guess that is, I'm just interested to know how your administration kind of encouraged you and still does encourage you, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I'm incredibly uh, fortunate that I have the autonomy over my class to try everything, to give my students a little bit of autonomy and my classroom as well, right? So I give my students the the option of doing certain things that will hopefully in the long run show them that they can do other things. So one of the, my philosophies is fail forward. So if something doesn't work, keep moving because failure is a part of life. My administration 
gives me that opportunity to do that. Um, and you can see the results in other classrooms. Kids through this process of talking about their emotions in my class can now talk about their emotions at recess and now talk about their emotions in their classroom. They can now open up and kids that were not talking are now talking. Kids who are not really as open to conversations are now having those conversations with their classmates. You're, you're seeing those results. And teachers are, you know, also seeing what, how that is making their classrooms better in a better environment for the students. So now it's become an expectation, right? That students just expect it to be <laughs> this way and expect adults to behave this way, you know, that they encounter, you know, outside the class. That's, that's really cool. I can see your passion. I mean, it's so obvious you love what you do. And I've, you know, read that about you as well. So I just would like you to share a little bit just for this conversation about what kind of keeps you in the field, you know, sustains your passion in the work. I think it's a two-part fold. It is the community as teachers, um, especially now more than ever that I've seen so many teachers who are like me, who are just as passionate, who want to do more for kids. That is one part that keeps me in it. Teachers have the most resources in the nation, but what we, we don't we don't use it, but we have it. It's there. What do you um, mean? And I've seen what, it. What, what do you mean? Think about how many teachers are in the city where you live. Mm -hmm. That's a resource for you. Think about those 6,000 teachers in the district. It's a resource. There are so many teachers across the nation that we can tap into that have something special that they are doing in their classrooms that we can use. And so that excites me. It's just how do we tap into it, right? How do we get more teachers in a room together, brainstorming, planning, and, and putting things into place? But that's exciting to me. The other piece is I love teaching. Teaching is fun for me. Um, I love being able to bring something that's new to my students or something that's new to me to my students or something old, right? Like I can bring something back from my childhood and introduce it to my students. And I'm like, so give, give me an example of that. Give me an example of, of one of those things. I was at an airport Chili's and we were talking with a bunch of people around the, the restaurant and the idea of the, the parachute came up and how people bring that memory back. And I was like, oh my God, I forget how much fun the parachute is. Ironically enough, at the end of the year, at the end of last year, my sixth graders randomly brought up the, um, brought up the parachute and they were like, Hey, whatever happened to the parachute? And for me, I just was like, they're just too old to want to play with the parachute. They had the best time with the parachute by themselves. They were self-sufficient. They were running games. It's just one of those things that we would forget how much fun the small things are for mm -hmm. our students. That gives me excitement. That gives me hope. That gives me, that keeps me in it because I can bring something that was just the smallest thing. Like kids can have a great time with it or bringing something that's entirely brand new we started doing cup stacking last year what and is that it's something cup stacking is where they yeah. stack cups and mm -hmm. they break it down it's like as simple as like just building a cups onto a tower and then mm -hmm. you break them down really quickly but the kids had so much fun creating their own designs oh, they were okay. working together in my brain i was just like oh, why haven't i done this this is the first year and i've been in school for you know seven years and i've had these cups this year i was just like let me try something different that excites me and the kids were excited because it's something different, but it's so simple. So it strikes me that you're a real antidote to technology, to all the time <laughs> that they're spending, like looking at a screen. That's interesting. It's, it's actually a combination. I actually use technology in my class all the time. Okay. And Sorry. I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a person who moves with the time. The pandemic really showed me that I can use technology as my friend to help get kids where they need to be, but also utilize it as a tool because kids are going to be around technology forever. Right. And I need to be a teacher that moves with that time. Otherwise, right. I'm going to be left behind. Right. And then I won't be able to teach my kids successfully. So how, how do you use it? Like, what do you do, for instance? What would be an example? So one of the things that my my younger students, so my students in um, the primary grades, 
they love to do these virtual runs. So we might, I might put on a virtual run to like Mario's castle. And so on the stream, uh, Mario is running and the kids are also running along with Mario. And so they're making connection with Mario in the castle and they're jumping and they're ducking. And so they're doing all the physical uh, capabilities, but it's using the screen to be able to make being in the castle. So do you have an opportunity to do this kind of thing with your fellow teachers, like fit into a professional development day uh, with them? Or is there a formal professional development experience that you provide that, you know, would be good to share? So I have a, I have a team of five other teachers. So we are a small network of six schools. And so I have five other teachers that are underneath me that I, I like bring all of this, all of these ideas to um, that can utilize this. But I haven't, again, go back to that, that idea of time. There's so much that needs to be given to our students that sometimes these small things kind of get dropped yeah. to the lowest level of things that, that are needed. That's the hard part. I would love to bring something like this to our teachers and have them have fun with it. Laughter is such a huge part of our well-being. Being fun is another part of that well-being, but it just gets dropped to the lowest idea of what to do. Are you hopeful that you can have this kind of influence, though, ultimately in the profession that you can kind of bring some of all these learnings that you're experiencing with your... I mean, there was such a positive aspect of the um, pandemic was that people did stop what they... And you spoke about this in the beginning, kind of stop and start and stop and start, kind of rethink and value things differently, you know, and you talked about time and breaking things down into small bits. I mean, those just seem like such great lessons for anybody adults included and so i can just and see I, yeah. how welcome that would be like that kind of experience that teachers especially because teachers are so stressed you would think that would be the case but what's happening is that now we're back into full teaching and kids need to get to places and filling the gaps we are now going back to that yeah. idea of forgetting how much it like we need attention our bodies need attention we need to take yeah. care of ourselves you would think that it'd be welcomed but it becomes like, yes, I know I have to do it, but I also think kids need this, right? And so we put ourselves on the back burner so that we can push our kids forward. What we're forgetting, though, is like during the pandemic, we were like, oh, no, we have to take care of ourselves first so that we can be the best that we can be for our kids. We're forgetting that. Mm -hmm. We're forgetting how important that was because now we're back in full steam of being around kids, in front of kids. And my plan um, really is to throw out what teachers can do and provide as much as I can provide. And if teachers want to take it, they can take it. Having those options is the best that I can do. And if teachers are taking it, if I get one, it's almost like teaching, right? If you, if you teach one kid how to read, you've, you've, done, you've done your job, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, if I teach one kid how to catch a ball, I've done my job, right? So if I get one teacher to take me up on my offer, I'm, I feel fulfilled because at least one more teacher is taking care of themselves. At least one more teacher can now be that much more for students because they've taken care of themselves. So would you say then that in these schools that you're, affiliated with the six schools that that's not kind of coming from on high that's not that messaging about taking care of yourself you have to be okay before they're okay you know that i know that teachers make students the top priority i mean we've heard that over and over and over again that it's students 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 everything is very focused and when so because we're talking about the well-being of staff in this case over and over again people said you've got to start at the top you've got to start with the leadership you've got to talk to principals and i know they're under the same stress and strains that you've described you know they come in the principal that i interviewed actually on the podcast said we have 150 things to do before nine o'clock what do you think about all that 
that in terms of how to kind of make that I, system responsive to this need. I do think it starts at the top. It has to start from the top down. But I think what, what I love about my principal, she gave all of us the opportunity to take care of ourselves. So if we needed to take time off, she was like, okay, here's what you need to do. I think for some schools, it's like frowned upon to take care of yourself. I have to take a day off. I, I just need to take care of me or I have this emergency. That's always been a fear of teachers taking time for themselves takes away from their kids. And so like, that's always been the attitude. And what my principal is, and she's give, given her staff an opportunity to be, you need to take care of yourself in order to be the best that you can be for kids, right? Because you can't be the best for kids if you haven't taken care of yourself. Or if you're worried about something that's happening to your own body or to a family member or whatever the case may be, your mental state isn't going to be the best for kids. Going back to that same comment that you made yeah. around kids will notice Kids will notice when you are stressed or unhappy or you're not giving them the best of you. That could be the case. It has to start with the top down to be able to say, this is our top priority. After the pandemic, they gave us all memberships to the Peloton. And it was very simple, right? They worked out a partnership with Peloton and they gave us all access to their workouts. That was the best thing in the world to me at that time. Because then I can go on to Peloton do a 15 to 20 minute workout, either on my break or whatever this would be. For me, that was great. For other teachers, that's also can be just a pick me up. They can work on in the morning and the afternoon, but it's all free and that's given to them. That shows you that your network is behind you. People take advantage of it. Some did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Some were just, how do I start? You know, one of the things I, I started doing is I, I started hosting classes on my, on my breaks. I would yeah. say, hey, listen, I'm working out for 15, 20 minutes. If you have the time, come by, stop by, work out with me, right? And we can do this video together. And I started with two, ended up with 15, and that's progress, right? That's, that's Absolutely, because that's not for everybody, but that that's that's very cool. Well, I guess, you know, what you're saying is that your principal is supportive, like she threw the ball to people, like take time off, take care of yourself, but it's up to the teachers to catch the ball, right? And, and to uh, take advantage of the opportunities. But there are so many countervailing pressures, right? Deadlines and everything else uh, that they're, yep. they're, it's, it's not an easy fix. Is there anything that you'd that you'd like to speak to around this topic? I mean, we, we touched a little bit on parents and how the importance of, we knew how important parents were before the pandemic. And then we knew how important parents need to be during the pandemic. And then after the pandemic, we were like, now how do we get parents involved again? How do we make parents care again? Because during the pandemic, we were like, oh, teachers are so great. We didn't realize how much you, know, you did for our kids. And now parents are shook that off because they're back in their own working lives. How do we bring our parents back into the community and make them understand the importance of this is what we're doing for your kid, but also we want you to be a part of the community. We still want you to be a part of the community. And how do we embrace that? Full circle. We do a thing called home visits where we try to connect with our families at the beginning of the school year. So that way we touch base at the beginning and then we continue that, those check-ins throughout the school year. And I think that's so important. And so me and another colleague, we are trying to figure out what is the most important conversations we should have at the beginning of the school year to really engage our families so that they stay in it for the whole year. Because during the middle of the year, you're, you have like a, an event, 50 families come. Then by the time you know you go through the school year, you have like four families who show up. So how do you keep them engaged throughout the whole year? And what is that main focus for our families? So we're working on that right now. So do you have any solutions on that front? Like, have you figured out anything that is effective or? Food and fun. Food and fun. I mean, we have to get back we have to get back to when we want to keep kids engaged, what do we want kids to do, right? Yeah. And our, our families are no different, right? We need to make sure that it's engaging. So bring back the fun. And then, of course, families will come for food. If you can't provide food, definitely make sure that it is engaging for the families and they walk away with something. 
as much as we think that families may not want to um, have this information, they do. The problem that we have sometimes is that they may not understand the information we're trying to give them. So having that time with them more often so that they understand more, that is the best solution I think I can give. Because I know that, you know, school systems have budgets and like, they can't provide certain things. But if you are providing fun, engaging atmospheres for parents, they will continue to come because they want to know what their kids are doing. They just may not know or understand the information that's being provided. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they have to, each time they come, have a really positive affirming experience, right? And then mm -hmm. the next time you ask them, they kind of it unconsciously remember that was a good time. <laughs> so they'll exactly. uh, keep coming back. Yeah, it's it's so interesting, isn't it? That, you know, we think adults are so different from children, what drive, what motivates children. And it's often, I mean, right. yeah, we have layers and layers to penetrate, but often the same things are effective. So is there anything else, Jamar, that you want to recommend to like your fellow teachers or people in leadership that you think has or could make a real difference going forward? Me being an enrichment teacher, one of the biggest things that are being taken away from our kids is enrichment. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things I would say to administrators is to place a priority on giving kids more. Place a priority on giving kids the option of choosing some of their passions. I think that's one of the levers for our kids to want to come to school, want to come to my school, our school. We involve their passions. We ask them what they want to learn. And then we try to provide them with that, keeping enrichment a priority. Right, that's, that has to be there because it's providing students with an opportunity that they can be something more without dealing with ELA or math. Are you suggesting potentially that these kind of enrichment is not, doesn't need to be like a separate thing? It, the classes that they're required to take can be enriched, so to speak? Yeah, 100%. I, I think this has to be a priority across the board, across the nation. We have to start enriching our students with more, more than just math and ELA. Because I'm teaching math in my class, and it's a PE class. I'm teaching yeah. reading in my class, and it's a PE class, right? And, and music, kids are reading music. And so kids are doing all these skills in other classes, but we continue to push enrichment classes to the bottom of the list. Margin, when right. kids mm -hmm. And kids are learning a lot and could be learning a lot more in those classes, and we forget about that. And so my big message would be that kids need more and that we need to continue to provide our kids with more. And that has the kind of double benefit or multiple benefit of on teachers and what teachers then, you know, because again, that was something else that got talked a lot about teacher autonomy and, you know, a burnout factor for many teachers is that they, you know, they're powerless over what they can and can't do. And a lot of people pushed back on that and said, yeah, we have all these requirements and we have standards and we have to meet these standards and there's all this pressure, but kind of how teachers go about. Uh, teaching and how they choose to achieve teaching to the standards or whatever is is really can be very creative and flexible if they're encouraged to to do so. Absolutely. And that's where the other part of this teaching realm is so exciting for me is that mm -hmm. someone can be using the standards in such a unique way and probably using it in a way where you can take from that, I like to call it stealing, but steal from that and utilize it in your own classroom. And that's across the nation, right? There's so many teachers who are doing incredible things. And you just need to take a small bite of that and use it in your classroom. And it could be that much more engaging for your students. And, are, and do you as a teacher have access to like what's going on across the country where you can kind of see what's happening elsewhere and beg and borrow and steal and all that kind of stuff? Somewhat. You know, and it's only because I, I look for that. I'm a searcher. I'm searching yeah. all the time for ways that I can engage my students, you know, in my community or online, or mm -hmm. just using the people that are my colleagues 
um, or the friends that I met across different avenues of you know where I've been. Um, and I try to reach out and ask questions. One of the things we have to figure out, and it, it's out there, but it takes a lot to find. Teachers, without having the time to do so, don't want to look for it. So if there was an easy, accessible way for, and I, I always use this reference as like a blockbuster. Imagine there's a blockbuster for teachers where they can go in and just pull out information that they need for this particular standard or topic. And they can say, you know what? I see that this teacher in Kansas is doing this for this standard. Let me see if I can use this in my classroom. And, and that doesn't because, exist. Again, so the, So you have to kind of really put in the time to kind of do more like searching and you don't even know yeah. what you're looking for half the time until you come upon it. Right. So it's just, uh, right. there's so much out there. So being able to narrow that focus is the hard part, even for PE and health. There's so much out there for health and so much out there teaching one year health gets kind of meshed together and trying to figure out gives me more of the nutrition pieces or do they need more of the SEL pieces? And it's trying to figure out how do you navigate all those different topics. One of my things that I'm trying to create in the district is figuring out what are the main components that we need to teach kids and how do we do that in a successful through line way so that all PE teachers in the district will have a something to follow. It's been it's been an incredible ride, um, especially being a PE teacher, being one of the five finalists, and then being, you know, the the first black American PE teacher to ever do it. Um, it's been awesome. an incredible ride. Working Well is brought to you by the National Center on Safe Supportive Learning Environments at the American Institutes for Research. This podcast is funded by the U.S. Department of Education. If you'd like to learn more about Nestle, visit safesupportivelearning.ed.gov. For all questions or feedback, you can email us at nestleatair.org. Thanks for listening. Please note, the contents of this podcast do not necessarily represent the policy or views of the U.S. Department of Education, nor does it imply endorsement by the U.S. Department of Education. <laughs>